He's from the north. She's from the south. And we want to know what's in your mouth. Hello and welcome to In Yo Mouth. I am your La Sirena hostess with the mostest Munoz. And sitting next to me is my favorite spotted pig, my mascara, <laughs> Murray. Oink, oink. <laughs> Folks, I wish you really could see Marie's face sometimes when I do these things. Because she never knows what I'm going to say. And then... Like today, some days I get the biggest eye roll. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, h- how many times have you called me a pig? <laughs> well, you know. Know. Mm-hmm. Enough is enough. Us women are standing up and saying, no more. No more swine talk. <laughs> no more swine talk. No more sexual harassment. We are not taking it anymore. Fine, I'll take my hands off your boobs. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. My favorite is, is that we're not even sitting that close to each other. <laughs> and I said, I'll take my hands off your boobs. And then you just decide to rub your, your tatas. <laughs> I know. It's like when somebody refers it, I'm like, oh, I missed them. Do you know what I call them? What do you call them? Bill and Ted. Because oh, they're an excellent, excellent adventure. adventure. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I would call them Romy and Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Well, yeah. we both just sexually harassed each other, uh, which we do. Did we? Well, you did me a little bit. Oh. Calling me a p- Well, talking about boob. I don't know. Is that sexual? What is sexual harassment? I don't think I sexually harassed you. Mm. Verbally? Verbally? No. Verbally, you have. Uh, I like poke fun at you. Mm. I don't necessarily harass you. That's true. You um, know? Well, let's get into why, it. Why, you know, why, why her ass and not his ass? That's true. No, it should be <laughs> his too. Her, his his ass too. too. <laughs> men are men are men get it too, yeah. right? You've been harassed um, on more occasions than I'd like to to count yeah really mm-hmm. you know but i'm really excited today um because we we're, are taking once again I, I i don't know what it is about 2019 that we've taken, just like, digging in taken this turn with some of the pods to get a little bit more serious with y'all yes and, you know it is a comedy food podcast on most days but today we were lucky enough to grab uh she's a producer well we didn't grab her no, we, we didn't did. grab no, her. We, no, we didn't. Would we? Do? Oh, that. No, <laughs> no, no. We didn't grab her. Let's. No, that's good. That's good. Okay. That's good. 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 Yeah. Learning. We're learning. Uh, we um, consensually uh, uh, invited yes. her to speak to us on the telephone. Yes, all the way from Orange County. Orange County, you guys. She is not a real housewife. No, she's not. <laughs> she she's a producer. Not. She's a comedian. Um, and she had worked in the restaurant industry for 20 years at some very famous restaurants in California and New York. Why don't we give her a call? Let's call Trish Nelson. Boop, 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 boop. <laughs> Hello. How are you? <laughs> How are you? <laughs> can you hear us okay? I can I can hear your voice and then there's like a dark, deep, mysterious voice. Oh, is it there's like an echo? Hear. No, <laughs> she's talking about my voice. This oh. dark, deep, mysterious <laughs> I voice. You're, you're a little lighter than Marie. <laughs> uh, well, 
you know, so, uh, some of us have to be a little lighter than Marie. Oh, stop it. I've been on Weight Watchers, you uh, see. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> so folks listening, Trish Nelson is a comedian and actor and producer um, and she also has worked in the food industry for 20 for years, right? 20 plus years. Can Oof. you believe it? Uh, I can I think believe it's like it. It varies depending on who I'm talking to. It's anywhere between 20 years and 26 years. <laughs> wow. wow. But I started waiting tables when I was 14 and, and, um, and they, I don't know, I, being a performer, I started doing theater when I was eight. It just seemed to go hand in hand that if you're going to be an actor, you're also going to be a waitress. I didn't know that it was going to be until I was like retiring, but (laughs) (laughs) wow! you know, you don't plan for that. Right. (laughs) Right. Oh my God. I just completed my 21st year. I realized. Really? 21 years. Wow. Yeah. I've been serving since I was 17. Wow. (gasps) That's incredible. I started when I was 15 in Nashville at St. Paul's retirement home And it was, luckily, it was a very fancy retirement home. And so they actually had servers going up to the residents saying, you know, they'd come down to this luxurious dining hall. And then I'd be like, "Eh, chicken or fish. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That was my start. But where did, Michael, where did you start? I started with uh, Marriott Sodexo in college, actually, serving all like the alumni dinners and things like that. In D.C.? No. Um, oh, like that? Marriott uh, in Princeton, New Jersey. But oh. Marriott, like, you know, they they have, like, outlets in, like, colleges ah. and, like, obviously their hotels. And, yeah. Trish, where are you from I, originally? Orange County, California. And oh. oddly, I'm down here today. My mother's having bathroom renovations. So I'm, like, this, this silent supervisor that sits in the corner. So if you hear, have somebody come out and hear, like, Hey, Trish, can you come and check out this light fixture? That's a part of my duties today. So please forgive me. But I started in, um, at Amy's Bakery in Huntington Beach, California. And then I opened up the first Dave and Buster's at Irvine Spectrum. Oh, oh my God. I opened up the first, the first standard uh, hotel um, in uh, Hollywood, California. And that was the, the standard was my entryway into all of the places I then worked after afterwards, which would be like the spot of big and the Breslin and all of those kinds of things. Is that what brought you to New York from California? No. no, what actually brought me to New York was a show that was with Deborah Winger. And then she ended up backing out at the last minute. Um, it was a play. Uh, so I moved to New York for a play. And then um, my, fr- I'd gone to grad school, did an MFA in theater and my friend was working at the Spotted Pig, and she was like, hey, do you need a job? And so I started working there five days after I moved to New York. Whoa. And that kind of then established my life in New York. All of my friendships were based out of that place, my whole life, really, for that, like, over a half a decade. Wow. That's pretty amazing. And the Spotted Pig, so... Explain. I mean, I've always heard of the Spotted Pig being in, you know, working in the the restaurant industry here in New York. At, as it, it's like the, or it was, <laughs> rather. I don't know what it, where it yeah. stands right now. Um, but uh, it was like the it place in the West Village of New York City. It, it was, it, you know, it, it, uh, of all the flaws that I think April Bloomfield has. Um, Cooking is not one of them. She's mm. a genius chef. 
she knows how to she just knows how to bring out the, the natural flavor of a dish without it being overwhelming. Um, I mean, she just, she's, she's a, she has that skill. She has that gift. Um, as far as who she is as a person, it's different, but, uh, <laughs> she, um, you know, she was James Beard award winning, winning best chef. She kind of started like the gastro pup craze in America. She's from England. Um, so this like idea of, of like casual atmosphere with fine dining. Um, that was kind of what she coined and, and it blew up across the country. And, and, uh, she, you know, the Jay-Z owns the building. I mean, I, I oh. did all, he used to do uh, these Friday night parties and I was the person that did those parties for him. So like every Friday night, it would be on the secret to the, the secret third floor. It would be like this, debaucherous star studded affair that would last at times until, you know, <laughs> 10 o'clock in the morning. I mean, it was just insane. So it was all celebrities, just VIP. Oh, yeah. 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 Just like, and it was, you know, it was right when he was, it was before he married Beyonce. Um, but like when he was selling Rockaware and like, he, he just like at a really like hot time in his arc. I mean, he's still obviously doing just fine. Um, but I think that with his Ken Friedman is he, he used to be like manager of the Smiths. He was a big A and R dude. He discovered you too. I mean, oh, I didn't know that. So Ken yeah, Friedman, he's, he's the he's the in, uh, investor or like own he's owner. The, yeah, he's the co-owner. He's the sole owner now of, of this spotted pig. But before with April, he was the co-owner, and. Um, so he was a big music dude. April was brought by Jamie Oliver and um, Mario Batali into, uh, they were looking, he was looking to partner with a chef to bring on somebody. And, and Mario was the one, I think he's an, he was an investor in the pig as well. He was the one that really brought in April. Uh, they wanted Jamie Oliver, but, but he, Jamie couldn't do it. And Jamie recommended April as well. So then April came on board and Ken with all of his music connections and April with her culinary uh, genius, um, they just had this winning combination. So it was just a star studded, you know, like cl closing the second floor for Liv Tyler's birthday and mm -hmm. whatever, a band, any band that would come in town to play the garden would end up with a spotted pig on the third floor at a party. Oh. Um, so wow. it, just, it was, it was always, it was just known for being like a really hot, hip place. I, I still um, think you can't get in, like on, <laughs> on, on days. There's, uh, I'm pretty sure the last time well, I, I passed, it was packed to the gills. Yeah, and, and you know, it's, I have a bunch of friends that still work there, and um, I, it, it's interesting. Like, it's never the thing about the working class, like issues that are happening within the working class. Asking anybody of the well-heeled variety to alter their lifestyle to think about what's going on in these working-class environments, it's a very hard ask. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> well, so I think that, you know, that place will always, even though I'm, I, they've lost, they lost their Michelin star a while ago, I believe. Maybe they have it back now. But, like, they, obviously April's not, not the chef anymore, and, you know, it'll, it'll eventually do whatever it's going to do. But right now I hear that it, it has like, it's kind of brought in the worst of society because you have the rubbernecking and people mm. asking to go see 
asking servers if they can go see the rape room and <gasps> all of that. Oh, stuff. no. Oh, no, no. No. Yeah. But, but I want to kind of take it back a little in the oh. sense of before we get too deep and too heavy into into yes, yes. that let's i kind of want to talk about the joys of the hospitality um industry good point i mean that you know? must have been oh, yeah. so exciting to move to new york city and be immersed in this type of i don't know I, we do a lot of so michael and i work together in uh events and have for 13 years well, we uh, we like to city. say that we serve jesus at the last <laughs> that's how long we've been doing this <laughs> yep crab cakes crab cakes <laughs> But um, but yeah, there's definitely highs to yeah. being, you know. I mean, I mean, number one reason why I am in it is because it is so flexible. You know, you can work short, um, short hours and make as much money as you can. Period. That's the <laughs> only reason, really, why. Also, there's some really great people, and it's fun to kind of be in the mix of the celebrities. But yeah, what was your feeling, or like, why were why were you drawn to it? Right when you moved well, to New I love. I mean, I love hospitality. Like, I really do love the service industry. And I really feel like uh, one of the things that, that drew me to this was it's not con a conventional, conventional environment. I think that that's what's confusing to so many people. Because, you know, you work three days. If you're an artist, if you are, have artistic pursuits, you can work on your craft. You can work three days a week make a really good income if you're living and, and working in one of these, you know, kinds of establishments in, in New York or LA. Um, um, oh, <laughs> sorry, got some, got some electrical talk in the background. Um, <laughs> That's hot. But, uh, but, but yeah, so I was just drawn. I love to create an experience and I love like one of the things I loved about working at the spotted pig Everybody has to wait about two and a half hours to sit down. That's just the way it is. And that's a part of the cachet. Like, oh, everybody wants, there's no reservations. Everybody wants to be a part of it. Um, and then you're sitting for two and a half hours. And by the time they get to your table, they're just pissed. Uh -huh. And wow. it makes me so excited to get to, like, turn that experience around for people and cr create something that makes them leave and never forget. Like, it's what, it's like, service is so important to what it's the ambiance it's like the details that make somebody never forget a culinary experience um mm -hmm. and and really treating somebody like they're important and you know that's that was that's something I, I i love i love to put a smile on people's faces um so yeah i'm i'm into i i, I wouldn't have done it for so many years if i wasn't totally in love with it mm-hmm I think that we can agree with that. Yeah, for That's sure. Fun. I think at this stage um, in the game, for me at least, um, because I'm trying to transition out of it, believe it or not. Um, so the times that I am uh, working at the place that we work, um, I really enjoy the conversations lately. Like, oh. like the Long Island Medium was at this place that we work and we had a, a lovely conversation as, you know, she ordered some cocktails from me and, oh. it, was, and it was great. And yeah, because I've, I've taken like a little bit of a, I don't give a fuck attitude. So like, you've I had that attitude, Michael, since day one. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. Guilty as charged. <laughs> kind of that asshole bartender that yep. everybody loves. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So uh, always fearing. Yeah. Yes. Trish, uh, it sounds like you're very familiar. <laughs> even, even though we haven't met you you know you know who i am 
one of my, my final years uh, waiting tables in New York, I started wearing, um, I started dressing up in costumes, like as a pig, as a cow, as a care bear, uh, because I was dealing with an NYU, like really young, entitled crowd uh, and a lot of like finance guys. Uh-huh. And I realized that if I dressed as like a turkey and told somebody to go fuck themselves, nobody gets mad at you. Like nobody's going to like get angry with a turkey. Like it's so every, it's the whole thing's a big joke. And it's like, ha, 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 you are such an asshole. And everyone laughs and cause you're dressed like a turkey or a care bear. So if that was people losing my mind and maybe I was, <laughs> that was, uh, I think I call that the drag queen syndrome, you know, because yeah. like yeah. uh, you run into a drag queen and they can insult you head to toe. And you're like, Oh my God, this is amazing. Oh. But, if, but if they were out of drag, uh, if they were out of drag and it was just a person, you'd be like, what a fucking dick, you know? Right. Yeah. It, I, my tip doubled that year where what? it was such an, yeah, it was crazy. It's just because everybody wants to be friends with the Care Bear or, you know, <laughs> it, it was, it was such an interesting uh, social experiment. Wow. And then how long were you at the Spotted Pig? Well, I was actually only at the Spotted Pig for a year. Okay. And then. When they, this is, then they started to like expand rapidly. I then went over to open the Rusty Knot, uh, which is over on the West Side Highway. And which then I they, love. I didn't know that they're related. Uh, Ken Friedman owns that. April's not related, but Ken Friedman and Tabo Sumner, who owns Free, Freeman. Because that, uh, that becomes a gorilla gay bar so, uh, randomly. Oh, yeah. Well, that's what's the best thing, right? Because J.D. Sampson used to do Scissor Sundays on on. Uh, Sunday and oh. DJ uh, because Jamie's seat was the general manager. That, that's another thing about the Spotted Pig. A lot of the restaurant staff is gay. So uh, it's just it's awesome. It's like a great environment. So, um, so yeah, so Jamie started the Scissor Sundays with J.D. Sampson from La Tigre and, uh, and it blew up and I love that because it, it was, I have to be honest, it was a little bit douchey for a while. Like, like, you know, the Connecticut crowd wearing boat shoes and like lemon yellow sweaters tied yep, around their neck. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and then it got really cool. And one of the best jukeboxes in the city, Tavo Sumner is, it knows what he's doing. Oh, wow. I didn't even know that. The next time I go, I'll have to, uh, you know, yeah, fl- it's like flip through the album. I curated <laughs> 1970s, or at least it was when I was there. It was like a really highly curated 1970s jukebox. It's great. Wow. And then I went and did the Breslin. So the Breslin, I was oh. with Ken and April for about six and a half years, six, six years. Um, but, uh, yeah. So then I went and opened the Breslin at the Ace Hotel and did all the events there and did cocktailed in, uh, in the lobby and all that kind of fun stuff. And you produced comedy shows there too, right? At yeah. At the Ace Hotel. That, that's how we met, I think. That's correct. <laughs> right. And I was doing a really shitty bar show um, in the East Village for like five years at 2A. I think you did that yeah. show too. Uh-huh. It was um, a big effing deal. And we did it every week uh, in the East Village. And then um, some somebody wrote an article about basement comedy in the East Village. And uh, Ken Friedman saw it. He's like, hey, would you want to do um, comedy? We want to curate that Liberty Hall space. I was like, absolutely, right. I will. But knowing in my heart, like I, I, the behind the scenes is that it was such a toxic environment. And, you know, I I always kept these two things fairly separate. 
my my real life and my you know my other real life. So it's like um, I knew it, it wasn't easy to bring it there because there it was. Yeah, it was it was hard. It, it kind of muddied my both my worlds a little bit. But mm-hmm. I was super excited to get to curate that. It was a really fun um, year of comedy, and I did the New York Comedy Festival there, and then did oh, the wow. after party. Well, in 2012, it was it was fun. We had a good time. So, why do you think? I, I'd love to hear your opinion because I mean, I think Marie and I have obviously have our own opinions about. Um, kind of the behind the scenes in the hospitality industry and like a lot of places, why do you think a lot of places have that toxicity kind of kitchen culture? Like, yeah, like that kitchen culture that is just what it is and it's everywhere. Well, I think, first of all, I think that one thing that's great about the restaurant industry is that it, it's kind of brings together the counterculture of, like all the people mm-hmm. that have fallen, fallen between the cracks. I mean, if you're an alcoholic, if you're a, a, an ex-convict, like you can be a restaurant worker. You know what I mean? So it's like it brings it brings everybody. And the kitchen, I, I mean, the kitchen is known for. I, I, I I'm going to jump around here, and please forgive me, but um, I. I did this big talk at, at the Mad Symposium in Copenhagen. It's Renee Redzepi who owns Noma, which is like one of the, I think it is the, the number one or number two restaurant in the world. And so I went to Copenhagen and did this talk about re- deconstructing and reconstructing kitchen culture. Um, because I really believe that all issues in the restaurant industry stem from this very uh, toxic core and the reason that it's toxic is because you're, you're working with a lot of, of different kinds of people who, um, some of them are extremely passionate about culinary art. Some of them don't have any other options. Um, and the people that don't have any other options are very easily exploited. So you have people who are working like 90, 100 hours a week. Um, because they don't have anything else. They don't, there's nowhere else that's going to accept them. Um, and I feel like it, the abuse and, and they're talked to, they're treated like trash. I mean, at least April's kitchen, they were treated like trash. Mm. And, um, you know, it, I, I think that it breeds anger. So it's like a very angry environment. Add in the, the, that it's blue collar working class, and and that it's unmonitored, and all hell breaks loose. Mm. So, um, so I think that I think that people are taking advantage of of people working in kitchens and pushing them to their limits, and it's causing a lot of problems. So at this mad symposium, I'll quickly quickly say this: I met this guy Ben Shuri. And he owns the number one restaurant in the world. It's called Attica, and it's in Melbourne, Australia. And then I was just blown away by him because this whole Mad Symposium, much to the chagrin of, like, I'm sure half the audience, uh, because it's an invited experience. They invite, like, 700 people from around the world, culinary experts and, and industry leaders from around the world to come to this symposium every year. And, and then they curate this huge experience, and it's really powerful and beautiful. This one was all focused around me, too. And, and, and around, you know, what's happening to our, 
comrades in this industry. Mm-hmm. And Ben Shuri, who runs the number one restaurant in the world, discovered um, years ago that because he came, he was trained in a fear-based kitchen. New York is known for its fear-based kitchens. Um, it's very military. It's very coarse. Um, and so Ben realized that he was screaming and like he wanted, he thought that he wanted his, his staff to fear him because if they feared him, he equated that with respect. Mm. And he, um, realized that like people were making big mistakes and trying to hide those mistakes from him and they were making it out to the tables and it was ruining his reputation. So he decided that he was going to change everything. He stopped treating his, his, his kitchen staff like they were dogs. He, he made it so that everybody worked a 40-hour work week and they couldn't work anymore. Everyone got health benefits. Um, they get two weeks paid vacation. Um, and he changed his restaurant into the number one restaurant in the world. So obviously it worked. Like mm-hmm. he was able to reverse because it's hard to break cycles, but he was able to reverse all of those things that he had been trained to believe were like what you had to do if you were a part of a kitchen and, and created the number one restaurant in the world. So I don't know. Yeah. I think that the toxicity is, uh, it, it really stems from the kitchen and branches outward. It, it permeates every orifice of an establishment. Um, at least it did on a big. Well, uh, the two of us know uh, a lot about <laughs> permeating orifices. I, I, <laughs> I would say, no, I get it, and I, uh, I, I, I see, or I have seen at least throughout my time that fear-based training. Like I've had, I've had plates thrown at me and bowls and, yeah. and things like that, and like you know, or where they put the plate in the. Um, in the grill to make it really, really, really hot, like right before oh. you pick it up, you know? Oh. Yeah. It, All of that. I, I, April, there's a story of April talking to the, one of our, our expediters. She had a plate sitting under the, the um, I mean, it's, it's a real story because the person, I was there when it happened. Uh, the, the, she ha- had this plate baking under one of the lights and um, this kid who had loved April had been with her at Spotted Pig. This is at Breslin. Picked up that plate and and laid it on his forearm and and immediately tried to to, to he knew he made a mistake because he was burning. And April said to him, "If you drop that plate, you are fired." Oh my so god! So he is like getting third degree burns. I mean, sadistic. Like what a sadistic person. Like who does that to right. a human? It's all because just pow- power. Yeah, it's like power. just sh- showing off your power. And like I, one of the places I work, one of the managers is just so nasty. And the way that he speaks to us is just so nasty. And I have absolutely no respect for him. But for this particular job, it's just the easiest thing. And I've done it for so long. And I, you cannot get fired there. <laughs> We've tried. Well, you know, <laughs> I mean, yeah. So for being an artist and having, you know, all my time free during the day and then, you know, two or two nights I can work there and make my rent. It's something, but it's, it's just, it's not fair. No. It's gross. A lot of people that like a lot of my friends that went through all of, you know, building Ken and April's empire, 
we talk about it now that like those of us that have gotten out, I mean, it really took me, I'm no joke. Like I, I've gone through tons of counseling. It took me about a year and a half to just deprogram from that lifestyle because I didn't realize like in my head, I had told myself, well, I'm a creator. So I'm going to give them, you know, three to four days a week. And then on these other three days, I'm going to really create my work. But the emotional exhaustion that I experienced, like the soul suckage that happened made it so that I, um, I realized that like those three to four days a week that I was dedicating to Ken and April, I, I, I would go home. I didn't want to see people. I didn't want to go out. Like I was just drained because they were long shifts. You know, they were 10 to 12 hour shifts, sometimes 18 hours depending. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I, I, I realized like, and, and there was so much verbal abuse and so much sometimes physical abuse. Like it was, um, it, it, we call it Stockholm syndrome. Right. <laughs> Those of us like, that were the lifers for them. Uh-huh. It was like, what a strange, and they would always fire you and rehire you. Like they would play <gasps> these really manipulative games where like they would fire me from the spotted pig. And then, and then Ken, it was like good cop, bad cop. Then Ken would call me like, we love you. You know, don't, you know, don't, don't, April will get over this. You know, we really want you to be a, still be a part of the family. Would you open this restaurant? And then they'd fire me after a year and say, we love you. Rather than just doing a normal thing, like saying, Hey, we're opening another restaurant. Could you just move over there? <laughs> they would do these like really manipulative. So like you knew the be ripped out from underneath you at any moment. They were just, it was like having like very, very um, like drug addled, toxic parents mm. <laughs> that you just never knew what the, when the other shoe was going to drop. Right. So anyway, but so I, I, it, it's like being a part of the cult. When did you then gather this, like the bravery to step forward and, and speak out against them? Because the Me Too movement obviously has has been shining light on every <laughs> every little crevice. Orifice. Yes. And <laughs> yes. the restaurant industry, my God, there's just so – I mean, th- we're talking about the kitchen culture, but I, the, luckily, personally, I haven't – of course, maybe verbally some things have been said that have really, really hurt my feelings. But for me, it's more from the customers that, I, that I've been touched, I've been groped, I've been verbally, you know, assaulted that way by customers. But with the Me Too movement, you know, we're talking about the restaurant industry. Um, when did you, you know, find that strength to step forward and say enough? Like that, we actually do need to talk about Ken Friedman and April and Mario Batali, and you know, because you, I feel like. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong, but like you were a leader in this and in, in, in taking them down. Um, well, you know, it's so weird because like it, it, I think that for, for me and, and I think for all women, I'm a 41 year old woman. So I really grew up as a teenager in the 90s. Um, I my my favorite music was hip hop and gangster rap. I mean, I grew up in a like that's what what I loved. I listen to those lyrics now as an adult, like as a forty year old, and I still love the music. But the, the lyrics crush me because it's so disparaging and like misogynistic against women. But I think right. that it was always ingrained in my mind. My I was a fourteen year old working at down in Huntington Beach. Some old dude grabbed my rear end. And I remember saying to my manager, oh, my God, that guy just touched me. And she was like, I felt it's like flow and melt diner. Like, oh, honey, you better get used to that. Um, 
And so I was just, I didn't know, I, even though I knew it hurt my soul and that I was going through lots of therapy and trying to like, like filter this myself, um, I just thought it was the way it was if you were born with a vagina. Like this is just a part of the deal. So there was a level of acceptance um, on my part and on, and I feel like just a social level of acceptance that like, yeah, like you're a woman, like you're kind of up for grabs and that's just the way it works, especially if you're a working class woman, because um, you don't really have a say, <laughs> you don't really right. get to have a, an opinion. And in, in your work environment, you don't get to have an opinion because if you do, you're fired and they let you know that from the moment they hire you, that you are disposable. So don't forget it. So it's just very, it creates this very, very unbalanced power dynamic. Um, and, you know, I experienced that, obviously, with Mario Vitale. I experienced that with Ken Friedman. Um, I did a Facebook post talking about a night when I was doing a Disney party and um, was stacking glasses, and it, Amy Poehler was there, and Ken knew that I was, like, involved in comedy, and he asked me if I wanted to meet her, and I said yes. And then as she was walking over and I was on my knees, you know, stacking glasses on the bottom shelf of this bar, I reached my hand out to introduce myself and he pushed my face into his crotch and said, and while you're down there, <laughs> but you know, that kind of like, like a humiliation, like that kind of like degradation, that abuse that just breaks away a person, um, just breaks down a person over, over decades and decades of experiencing this, um, and I just remember that feel, that feeling of shame, you know, but I did that Facebook post and uh, lo and behold, this was before I think Ashley Judd had just come out in the New York Times mm -hmm. and one of my friends from the Spotted Pig reached out and said, Hey, just so you know, we've been working with uh, Julia Moskin and Kim Severson um, at the New York Times and they're doing a big story about the restaurant industry and would you want to be a part of it? And honestly, I didn't. Because mm -hmm. I was afraid right. um, because I just thought I don't have any, I'm a waitress. Like I don't have any power and I, I, I'm probably going to have to wait tables for the rest of my life. And, and no one will ever hire me again. Like if I, if I open mm -hmm. my mouth, I will be I, like, I'm going to get destroyed. Plus Ken Friedman is actively known for ruining careers. I mean, I've watched him do it. I've heard him say it. They'll never work in this town again. And he means it. He'll, he'll make those phone calls because they knew everybody and people's jobs were rescinded from them after they were hired just because Ken made a phone call. So it's like, it's like the mafia, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's just a really dark uh, and corrupt environment. But, um, but it was just, I think it was just early enough in the Me Too movement where um, it, 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 people could, because I feel like people are, I feel like people are still listening, but it, it's harder for people now to re recognize that, oh, this isn't ever going to go away. Like, I think that like all things, people kind of thought, oh, well, women are going to speak up and then it's going to just drift off again. And it's really stayed on the table now for a solid year and a half. Um, and, uh, I, but I'm grateful that, you know, we, that article came out in December of um, 2017 and, all the things I thought that were going to happen in the New York times, mm -hmm. um, all the things I thought were going to happen, it, the total opposite happened. And I could not have been more floored. I just couldn't believe that the society was willing to hear a working class voice talk about their experience and not just totally 
um, yeah, dismiss me. So then after the New York Times article came out, when did you get to speak to Anderson Cooper? (laughs) (laughs) Is he as hot as in person as he is on the TV? Listen, I've seen him naked at the gym. uh, um, uh, The people from 60 Minutes called um, and asked if I wanted to be a part of this piece that they were doing about Mario Vitale and Ken Friedman and, and the restaurant industry. And, uh, that happened, you know, I, I, I'd never been a part of articles before, so I didn't really know how it worked. Um, but it, this is no joke. I mean, this is real investigative journalism where it takes six months for an article to come out because, or, or a TV piece, because they have to corroborate your story like a a million times over. Like they have, they're not just going to say things because you say it, it happened. Um, So that article, they reached out pretty immediately. And I think that we started working on that in December and it came out, um, I think in end of April or May. Um, but yeah, it was wild. Anderson Cooper is beautiful and, (laughs) um, and really, and, and also a good journalist because he, he didn't, it, he didn't just take my word for it and he didn't just, um, he, he asked me real questions. Why would you stay? Which is a big, huge question in the restaurant industry. Like, well, I don't understand. Why wouldn't you just get another job? Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people don't understand that a, there is no other job in the restaurant industry where this isn't happening on some level. Mm-hmm. So it's, it, 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 yes, I could get another job, but that that's not solving the problem because the problem exists. It's pervasive throughout the entire industry. Um, but also if I know that some people are like, I, I read comments on like the New York times article about, you know, well, she, she's just sad that she made bad life choices and that's why she's a waitress. And I'm like, well, why do you think that being a waitress is so terrible? Right. A right. like, 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 yeah. you, people don't like people are speaking. It's like, it's like when, when people speak to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, like that people are speaking, uh, like they don't understand that there's a whole huge group of people on this planet that are not, you know, um, sipping martinis and, and like the ladies who lunch, like there are workers out there and these jobs don't make you less of a human. They're a part of, what creates the entire ecosystem. And, so, and yeah. I can imagine that in a place like the Spotted Pig, you're, you were making some cute coins, you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, like, I have a master's degree. I, yeah. I was making more, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm making like three times more I would have made as a teacher. Yeah. Because that's and so, what I could have done with so my MFA. Those jobs, especially in the hospitality industry, once you have them, you don't, you yeah, don't, don't. want to let them go. You know, because right. the bank account, the gold, it's the golden handcuffs, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Well, and they, and they talk about like, oh, you're doing this. It's the, about the money. And, and, and I'm like, how it's about survival. It's not, yeah. it, 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 when you're, when you're living, when you need to live as an adult and you have $150,000 in student loan debt, you, you, you've got to make some money. Hello. Like, you, Hello. <laughs> well, uh, this has been really, really interesting, but I mean, fine like i know we've talked about like deconstructing this like ki- kitchen culture where i think where do we go from here where where are you now you know 
Well, I, mean, I feel like one of the, I think like all things, like it's a lot of talk, a lot of people have to listen for a while. Um, I, I do think that this is not a short, there's no short answer to this and there is no quick fix. This is going to be about a decade's worth of overhaul that's going to happen over these next 10 years. And the reason I know it's going to happen is because all of those chefs that I worked with that were April's right-hand men and women that finally got away from her, they saw something that they never, ever, ever want to repeat. And they're not just, they're not just saying that they're not going to do it. Like, they're actively, I mean, those people have opened up restaurants of their own. They're huge executive chefs in huge restaurants. And they're changing the way that they relate to their staff and treat people because they know the kind of abuse that they endured, how detrimental it was to their health and, and their own, their own feelings as as humans. Like they just, they, they they really, they're making active changes because they don't want to repeat. They're true leaders. They're, they're going to be true leaders rather than doing what something like April did, which was she came up in, in like, the, the, the trenches. She came up to the trenches and and found her position in the world. And then, rather than recre- rather than recreating the wheel, mm-hmm. she just jumped. You know, jumped on the jumped hamster on. wheel and and did all the same things that she was taught. And it takes a true leader and true integrity to go against what it is that you know, mm-hmm. um, because you know that what you know is not what not something that should be repeatable. And I will say this really quick, that, that going to the Mad Symposium and meeting, like, there was, like, 56 different countries represented there. I can't even tell you how many people, like, hundreds and hundreds of conversations I had with people after I did my talk and throughout the next couple of days there. People coming up to me who, who work in, you know, South Africa, who have restaurants in Ireland, who have restaurants in, you know, Australia, like, all over the world, just saying, like, you know, everything you said, I totally agree with. And this is what I'm doing in my kitchen to change the future for this industry. Mm. And so people are, are actively not, like, nobody wants to live like that. It's hell. Mm-hmm. It's, it, wow. it, people, you end up abusing substances. You end up, like, becoming volatile yourself. Like, it changes you as a person. So it, 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 people don't want that. They want a better way. I think it just takes time. To, it's kind of a changing of the guard. And the transition takes uh, longer than a year. <laughs> It'll take about 10 years, I think. Well, I put a, quote, a quarter in uh, Zoltar, the fortune teller. Oh! And, and, and he told me that change is quickly coming. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> well, Trish, I read that. Are you writing a book about this or, or furthering? I, I, uh-huh. I am. I'm working. I mean, I, I'm working on this. It's it's really just about uh, focusing on. I'm not writing a book about the Me Too movement. I'm not writing a book about, um, you know, it, it, my personality is. I want to. I want to know what how we get to the other side. Like mm-hmm. I want to. I want. I want to focus on like, on like the positive. And for me, the positive is like really focusing on an anthology of 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 featuring like these different female chefs from around the globe, how they made it to where they are and how they became the leaders that they became. Cause there's some really brilliant female chefs. I think that the problem with our industry and the problem with our country in general, and really it's a global issue. Um, you know, women are always told that their place is in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. 
unless it becomes, unless you can monetize it. So right. Unless right. it becomes a business. Once it becomes a business, it's like, oh, no, no, no. Let that, let the men take care of that. Right. And it's so fucked up. It's just, I'm sorry, can I swear? I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it's just such an interesting backward issue that in the restaurant industry, it's a, a very near to impossible for a woman to get to the top of her career. Gay women have a better shot because they can at least blend in mm. in as you in the objectification cycle. Like, there's the hot waitress. Let's all objectify her. Oh, right. April can join in on this too because you know she's gay. Like, mm. it, but if you're a heterosexual woman, good fucking luck. Like that. It's hard. It's going to be hard for you. Well, I was in Soho yesterday and I was walking by. They have the Culinary Institute there where there's like that world restaurant where they invite chefs from all over the world to come and, and cook and learn and educate. And, the, and they have um, on the just the window of this restaurant, um, they have great chefs of the world. And they were all men. They had 12 pictures of just all men. And I was like, really? Out of all the chefs of the world, they're all just men. Really? Well, well, and, and, you know, I, I mean, I really do think of all the places I've worked, April's kitchen was the most abusive. And I think April did that thing that so many women do in so many different fields where they reach the top of their careers and they're going to be worse than the men because it's like an overcompensation. Like we used to joke that April is the smallest stick in the industry because she, she just, like if you feared your last job, you were going to fear her worse. And and that's how she gained her power. And that's how she somehow that equated to her that she was successful. Um, and, but I, I've seen it in other industries, music industry, entertainment industry, for sure. All those women that led those girls slaughter of, of um, you know, Weinstein, like uh, it's, it's, it, it's gross when you get to that powerful position, how, how some people choose to abuse it. Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh yeah. In all the porn I do, I like label myself a power top. Oh, stop. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I'm a power top. <laughs> oh, well, Trish, I, again, like we cannot thank you enough. We know that you, so you're a busy, you know, uh, comedy producer. You, you know, you're writing a book and um, and, and so I know you're very busy and we just really appreciate you taking the time to talk oh. to us because this is a very important conversation. And, you know, we, we're a comedy food podcast, but it's very important for us to kind of dig in there and, yeah. and really Well, I love what you're world. doing. <laughs> and I do think, like, I, I just want to say really quickly, one thing that I think is so interesting about this is that um, if it, the whole ecosystem that's happening here between the service industry and the creative arts, here we are, waiting tables, bartending. You think that I that, that I'm bringing you this bloody mary on time, and therefore you're going to give me two bucks, mm-hmm. and I'm going to take that two bucks, and I'm going to put that two bucks into a production that I'm funding that is going back into your community. Like it, this whole ecosystem, you don't understand. It's a modern day patronage. Like right. you, you think you're paying for this, but actually you are a modern day patron for artists. Um, in these, I mean, and granted, one thing about the Me Too movement is that not everybody's an artist. There are mothers, there are women, that there are there are men, that there are people that are just pursuing this because waiting tables is that the service industry is a career, whether right. people want to agree with it or not, it is. And um, so I'm not just saying that you that the only way you can do it is if you're an artist. There are people that, that they 
they're paying for their, their family's meals. Um, and that's what I was really hoping with all of this, with Mari Vitali and all of that, this idea of the woman that's in the middle of Iowa right now is trying to like put her kid through school, um, that she won't have to have Larry, the town drunk, grabbing her crotch every single time he comes in anymore. Like she'll actually be able to say, oh, I'm sorry, Larry, that's no longer acceptable. You can't, uh, you can't do that to me. Right. Like I, I'm, I'm hoping that those voices yeah. will be able to yeah. come out. Well, it's given me strength. Like even just on Saturday night, I had a customer, I was holding out the hors d'oeuvres and he put his hand on my back and I quickly oh. like, like just like moved sharply and he immediately knew he was not supposed to be touching me. And like, yeah. let me tell you, six years ago, I would have not done that. I would have just been like, well, this is just how old men are. Well, yeah. even as a as a man on this uh, podcast, um, <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry about. Yeah, yeah sorry, 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 I have a penis. But <laughs> I'm I, sorry about. But that. I like penis too. So, um, <laughs> but the as of late and over the past, like maybe a couple of years. Um, I noticed like when passing hors d'oeuvres or whatnot, people love to like touch and grab Mm -hmm. and grab. And I will be quickly say, um, do please do not touch the, the, the servers. Um, they bite. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Please. We're not a part of the menu. We're not a part of the, we're we're not not like, why are you grabbing me? Why are you grabbing me? I'm a human. I'm not, it's so crazy to me. I don't, I, but, but I do think that it's just that disconnect between the well-heeled and the working class mm-hmm. where we're like, well, you're a part of the, you're a part of my lifestyle. Like you're like, this is my lifestyle and you are a part of that. It's like Downton Abbey, you know, um, it's really interesting. Yeah. Well, but I'm glad that we can say, I, I, I'm glad that, that there's some recourse. Like I'm doing, I'm working with the New York attorney general right now because they don't want New York restaurants to ever have this issue again. Mm-hmm. So, um, so really working on like, okay, well, what needs to, what kind of legislation needs to be implemented so that pe- women and men don't, in these fear-based environments, don't have to fear for their, the loss of their livelihood if they're actually saying, hey, I'm a person, um, and what you did just actually bothered me, it hurt me. You, you can't get fired for that anymore. Like, that's what they would like to be able to implement. Um, you know, you won't be, you won't be listed as a problem if you speak out for your own health. <laughs> Girl, you are changing the world. That's right. I love you. Oh, I love you. Right. I, oh I, I mean, maybe not the world, but like at least my own life. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're changing our lives and, and other women's. And, I mean, yeah. it's, it's really amazing what you're, you're doing. And, you know, we're, we're right. luckier for it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I love it. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me be a party, you guys. And thank you for coming on the pod. Um, tell uh, tell the listeners where they can find you, or if you want to be followed. Oh, that mm-hmm. is. Um, well, I do monthly shows of Joe's Pub. You can see this alienation highlighting um, prolific immigrants that make up this great country. Oh, ours! Um, and the second Wednesday of every month at Joe's Pub. I have another show called The Secret Society of the Sisterhood. Both of these can be found online. They both have web pages, The Sailing Nation, The Secret Society of the Sisterhood. Um, and, you know, I, I've got a Banter Girl website for my little no-profit company. Um, uh, you can find me on all the, on all the things, either Banter Girl, STW, for my handles, or um, The Secret Society, or The Sailing Nation. Oh, 
Well, cool. Listeners, definitely follow her. You'll, you'll thank us for it. Um, and again, thanks for joining us, Trish. We really appreciate it. Yes, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule of remodeling <laughs> remodeling bathrooms. <laughs> remodeling my mother's bathroom. Yes. Yeah, if I have to carry another bag of concrete around, I, I swear to God, I've always been a man in this house. <laughs> I love oh, it. God. You're well, awesome. Yeah, so thanks so much, and it's great talking to you. Great talking to you guys, too. Talk bye, to you later. Trish. Thank right, you. Bye. Wow. Wow, guys. Wow, guys. That was it. That was intense. It kind of made me reflect on all the years that I've been in this biz. I've been very fortunate that I haven't had any April Bloomfields or Ken Friedmans in my life. Mario, I have had Mario Batali in my life, and he did not touch me, but definitely got a really gross, weird feeling when serving him. Yeah, I mean, I've been. In and out of kitchens, a lot of the kitchens mm-hmm. in this city. Um, it's interesting. It's just uh, kitchen culture is just really, really interesting. And when you start, especially when you start young, like we did, mm-hmm. like like Trish did, and um, you see you see the hot plates coming out, and you and like a bowl being thrown at somebody is just right. kind of you know really like. Oh, it, oh, that just happens here. This right. is this is what happens. Well, here, my first you know? job when I was fifteen, I'll never forget, and it was the first time anybody had ever said anything nasty to me. I went to the kitchen. I said, "I need an extra side of gravy," and the guy like turned to me with his dick. He didn't have it. In, I mean, he just like motioned, "I'll sh- I'll give you extra gravy," and he like pretended to stroke his dick. Oh, and I was, and this was like an older, like I'm 15 years old, and this guy was oh, well in his 40s. So he wasn't cute. I, no, oh, okay. <laughs> but it was like I remember being like, "Oh, that's so gross," but like also that's kind of funny. But then it made me just feel ashamed, and I didn't tell anybody because. I'm, you know, this is my job. My friend got me this job. I really need this job, you know. So you just like keep yeah, silent, for sure. But you know who's not silent? It no mo, women. Women. <laughs> We're shouting. Right. We're shouting. You better listen. Listen. The world is changing. The world is changing. The restaurant industry is changing. The movie industry is changing. Like yeah, you know. Wait till they really tap into the music industry. They are Jennifer Hudson. Mm. I am changing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Well, I'm glad that we went down this road together. No, I I am too. I'm a little sad that there was no food news update today. That's true, folks. We we scratched that because you know it just didn't really naturally go there. I mean, we love talking about cauliflower rice, but it just didn't really go in the mix today. No, and I didn't think it would be appropriate to like kind of like. You know, interrupt Trish while she's telling her story of Ken Friedman shoving her face in his uh, crotch. Right. I was like, you know what, Trish, let's let's put a pin in that while we while we talk about uh, cauliflower rice and and <laughs> no and yeah. no hangover alcohol. Right. You know? Right. So you guys are just gonna have to tune in next week for, for food, food news, news update. update. We'll give it to you, and we'll give it to your heart. But consensually. Yeah, only if you want it. Only if you want <laughs> only it. If you and want you say, it. Yes. yes, you look me in the eyes and you say, yes. <laughs> yes. Give it to me hard. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yeah, thanks. <laughs> and thank you for listening, listening to In Your Mouth. Don't touch me. Unless I say it's okay. <laughs> <laughs>